Five reasons to give thanks even in 2020. I'm still waiting for 2020 to like turn into a curse word. I don't know about you. It's not there yet, but maybe you're using it that way. It's just not colloquial. As you're turning to Psalm 34, let me take you back in time and tell you where Psalm 34 came from. You'll notice at the top of Psalm 34, you've got the title Psalm 34. Then there's an attestation there. It's a Psalm of David. And historically, whoever wrote that got it wrong because they say that is a uh, when he was running away from Ahimelech, but no, it was or acting crazy before Ahimelech, but it was Achish. Let me read that for you, and that's in First Samuel chapter twenty-one, verses ten through fifteen. It says that day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath, so Philistines. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart, and he was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, marking on the doors of the gates and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at this man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? David, to take you back, was on the run. King Saul, who had a wickedness about him and was terribly jealous, was jealous of David, who was anointed as the king-to-be, and King Saul was out to kill David. And King Saul was using any and every method available to him, including his whole armies, to kill David. So David is running for his life, knowing that God has a plan for his life. And David even runs to the Philistine city of Gath, seeking refuge from Saul's armies after him. But there, when the king who'd just as soon kill him, Achish king of Gath, decides that he might kill him, David puts on this ruse of being a madman, being crazy, in order that he might not be killed by Achish as he's fearful of being killed by Saul. David is in a tough spot. And yet, what we have recorded in Psalm 34 is David being honest and transparent. And instead of covering up or ignoring the fact that he was in a tough spot and he acted like a madman or an idiot, and that he didn't depend on God, he reveals that he actually was depending on God. As much as he was acting like a madman, he was also in prayer. And then he reports about it and rejoices over what God did in Psalm 34. So we have to ask ourselves, what's wrong with our lives in 2020, right? Amidst all the fears of COVID, amidst the concerns of the economy and your job as it may be affected by COVID, amidst the tensions of racism that don't seem as high since COVID became more, but they're still there, amidst an unsettled election, amidst everything in your mind and in your heart, What have you got to thank God for? Because you still do. And it's probably a list more than five things. This list is pretty broad. But I'm going to ask you now if you would, and if you're able to stand with me and stand in the honor of reading God's Word. Psalm 34. These 22 verses 
written in couplet fashion as Hebrew poetry, is actually an acrostic. And verse 1 starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. Verse 2 starts with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Beit, Gimel, Dalet. And on it goes, except for verse 22, for a very specific purpose. But let me read it to us. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Verse 4. I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look on Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear Him and He delivers them. Verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in the Lord. Fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn your evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the broken hearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects All his bones, not one of them, will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, and the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Let's pray. God, when I read these words, I kind of get excited. I want to get my cheerleader voice going on and holler and shout because of what they say. That in the midst of a terrible situation that David wrote them, in the midst of not the best year that we read them, that you're still God. And we have more than five reasons here to give thanks to you in the midst of 2020. So God, whatever it is that is troubling those in the sound of my voice this morning, in this room and online, and those who will listen later on podcast or video, that you know their lives and you know what they need to hear. And I pray that by your Spirit, you speak truth to them, that they would be encouraged not just to give thanks, but that you are sovereign and that you are in control. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of us said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, obviously, I say there's five reasons to give thanks here, so you've got five points and five questions to help us think through those. And the first of those points is that we give thanks because God deserves glory. We give thanks because God deserves glory. I tried to write these as simply as possible. If you're taking notes in a journal or you can use our YouVersion app and look in the events there and follow along with this sermon as we go. We give thanks because God deserves glory. What does he say? I will extol the Lord at all times. When the psalmist says, I will, and that's David, the psalmist, excuse me, he's promising. 
He's saying, I am resolved that at all times, every situation, every circumstance, the things that happened before, the things that I'm in right now, and the things that are still to come, I am resolved to praise God at all times. We might look at this and say, that's craziness. Not every time feels like a time that we can extol or praise or glorify or lift up God. Not based on our experience, however. When we know that God is sovereign and we know that God loves us, our faith lifts us in the midst of our circumstances that we might say what is in the second half of verse 2, that His praise will always be on my lips. It's like that song we sing, right? His praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. I love that song. So many of our modern songs, like so many of our hymns of old, use Scripture and put them right in there. And that psalm is there, Psalm 34, that will extol Him at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Verse 2, my soul will boast in the Lord. Normally, boasting is not a good thing. But when you're celebrating the reality of who God is, His relationship with us and our relationship with Him, that's something to shout about. And notice what it says in the end of verse 2, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. It literally says there, let the humble, those in desperate circumstance, hear and rejoice. If you're down and out and things aren't going your way, you generally don't want to hear somebody else boast, do you? You don't want to hear them talk about what's going good in their life when things aren't going well in your life. But if that person is boasting of the goodness, the greatness, the sovereignty, the love of God, that should encourage you. Let the humble, let the afflicted, let those in pain hear and rejoice. Verse 3, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. The King James says it better. It uses the phrase, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Think about magnification. When I magnify something or look at it with a magnifying glass, or these days I figured out I can use my phone sometimes to help me do that, right? If I can't read something because it's too small, I get my camera app and I zoom it in, and I'm like, oh, now I can read it. When you magnify something, it doesn't change the size of that something, right? It only changes your view of the something. When we magnify God, we don't change His size, we don't change His greatness, we don't change His goodness, we don't change His sovereignty, because He's infinite, and He's powerful, and He's all-loving. We only change our view of God. So, isn't that amazing to think about that phrase in that way? Magnify the Lord with me. In other words, let's change our view of God. Instead of seeing our circumstances as big and God as small and in our little box, we see God as big and our circumstances are just circumstances. And even though they might conspire against us and get us down like 2020 is, we can still give thanks to God because He deserves our glory. Amen? Your application question for our first point there says, who needs to hear me praise Him? Who in your life needs to hear you praise God? Do you know? Maybe you don't know. Maybe you just need to praise God all the time. Instead of talking about the negative things in life, instead of complaining about what's on the news, or this politician said this, or that one said this, or you know, uh, this reporter said this, or that reporter said this, that we find the good in things, and we celebrate what God has done in our lives, and we testify to those things of His love and His mercy and His grace, and we magnify Him, make Him large, bigger than our circumstances. 
What testimonies can you share? What stories can you tell that make God great? God deserves our glory is the first thing we learn. The second thing is that God answers our prayers. God answers our prayers. That's in verses 4 through 7, that God answers our prayers. What David does here, he's, he's switching in verses 4, 5, and 6, and he's reporting on how God delivered him from the circumstance. So first, he's setting up and saying, we need to praise God in general. Um, psalms, not unlike music, because psalms were music in those days, right, have different genres, different types of music. And you know, when you hear a song, you can go, oh, that's a country song. Or, oh, that's a pop song. Of course, then there's some songs that kind of go in the middle. And if you really like country, if you really like pop, you might not like the songs in the middle. But this psalm here is a psalm of thanksgiving, but it kind of blends over and goes to what they call a hymn because it's not straight up thanking God. It's also praising God for who He is. So he started verses 1 through 3 like a hymn, but now he gets into why we thank God in verses 4 and following. He says, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Now, wait a second. David, dude, we read that this is attested to the fact that you were acting like a crazy man because you thought king number two was going to kill you because you were running from king number one who definitely wanted to kill you. But you sought the Lord and He answered you? Yeah, David's being honest here. Think about it. Have you ever done something in your own power at the very time when you're sending up a prayer to God because you know or you think that your power's not going to make it? There was a time when I was a teenager that I had gone to Dallas. And I had gone to Dallas and I lived in suburban Fort Worth, so down airport freeway, busy freeway, even late at night. And a car was weaving in and out of traffic behind me. And I saw him in my rearview mirror and I thought, oh my, okay, I'm in the middle lane like my dad teaches me so I can go one way or the other, you know, in three lanes of traffic going westbound like I'm going and then the big dividing wall in the middle, right, with the three lanes going the other way. And this person comes past me like 80 or 90 miles an hour. They slam on their brakes in front of me, spin around, and now their headlights are facing me as they're sliding down the concrete wall, and a hubcap bounces off that car and is bouncing towards me in my little Mazda pickup truck. And I thought, whoo! I looked, and I couldn't go to my right or my left, and the hubcap's coming right at me, and I said, oh, God, save us, because I had a friend in the truck with me, and I thought that hubcap comes through the windshield. We're goners. The hubcap bounced right over my little truck. Now, I was going to do what I could, turn the wheel, but I couldn't because I had people on either side of me. But I said a prayer as well. So let's not get down on David about his ruse of acting like a madman, because even though he may have been acting like a madman in front of Achish, king of Gath, in his mind and in his heart, he was praying to God. And he testifies of that here in verse 4. Let's go on in verse 5. He says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. What a beautiful picture. Radiant with joy, the CSB says, because that's the way that word leans in the Hebrew. We think about the blessings that God has given us of life, of light, of liberty, of love, and all these things God has done for us. And the NLT says that second phrase, that no shadow of shame will darken their faces. Shame is a powerful tool in the devil's arsenal. He can make you feel shameful, ashamed, for something that God's already forgiven you of. 
And it's a false guilt that the devil uses against us that are saved and redeemed. And even if we've confessed something and asked forgiveness for it, he brings back that shame on us that's based on our pride of life and what other people will think about us or what we think other people will think about us. And what does David say here? No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Verse 6, he says, this poor man, he's speaking about himself. Because keep in mind, he's not king yet. He's still just a shepherd's boy. And even though he's been invited into the king's court, he's a poor man because he's on the run now. This, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. Consider the position of prayer in the economy of grace, Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote. I had to think about that one a little bit. Consider the position of prayer in the economy of grace. So if God has an economy of grace and the way that he blesses us and cares for us and provides for us, what is the position of prayer? What function does prayer serve in God's economy of grace? Prayer is me reaching up a hand of faith to God who offers grace to access his grace to Find a pathway to His mercy. To request His provision. Prayer is essential to God's grace. Prayer is essential to God working in my life. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him. That word fear is Yarael. That's the special word of fear of God. That means reverence or worship. Realizing that God is God and I am not. That God is big and sovereign in my circumstances, though they may trouble me, are small and within His control. And what's it say at the end of verse 7? And He delivers them. Yes, God alone is my deliverer. Remind me of that next time I worry about something, okay? Remind me about that next time I get frustrated and act like a jerk. That God alone is my deliverer. Your application question on your second point asks, what am I asking Him for? If God alone is my deliverer, what is it that you're asking Him for in your life right now? This question begs the question or assumes that you are asking Him for something. Maybe that's the something you need to do. Maybe it is that you've stopped praying for some reason. And maybe today the one thing you need to hear from this sermon is start praying. God is sovereign. God loves you. And God will answer. This psalm testified to it and His word is truth. Test Him and see that His word is truth. Pray and ask God for the things that are on your mind, the things that are on in your life, the things that are bringing you trouble and fear, the circumstances that are against you. God deserves our glory was the first thing we heard. God answers our prayers. The second thing we learn from this passage of Scripture and the second reason to give thanks. The third reason to give thanks from this passage of Scripture is that God provides for seekers. Verses 8 through 14. This is really a summary of experience of people with God that walk with Him. And David's instructing those who listen to him how to receive this sort of full life and how to pursue God and seek God. No one experiences the goodness of God without corresponding godliness. And it's that godliness that makes you seek His goodness and that goodness that leads you to godliness. And these things are related as we walk with God in relationship with Him. And what does it see there in verse 8? 
Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me tell you about one of my favorite places to eat in Lincoln, Nebraska. Bonwich Cafe. Have you been there? Anybody been to Bonwich? Yes. Can I get an amen? Okay, for the rest of you, you spell it B-A-N-H, which, W-I-C-H. So it's like Bon Mi, which is a Vietnamese sandwich put together with sandwich, Bonwich Cafe. And it's on North 27th, just north of Vine Street, kind of catty corner behind the McDonald's on the west side of the road there. So you all go hit it for lunch and tell them I said so and tell them about Jesus when you're there, okay? So Bonwich Cafe, a Bon Mi, if you've never had one, is this Vietnamese sandwich. So the Vietnamese were occupied by the French, and that wasn't necessarily good, but the French left them French bread, right? And they bake it really good. So it's crispy on the outside and soft and kind of sweet on the inside. And on the inside of it, the Bonwich Cafe, people put these different types of oriental meat. You can get Vietnamese this, Korean that, Chinese that. I mean, uh, and then some very simple little kind of vegetables in there. And so you've got this savory sandwich And then you get a bubble tea, but not the real tea kind. You get a fruit smoothie. I kind of like to get banana with strawberry bobas, the popping bobas in there. Or, you know, I get crazy and get like uh, a blueberry flavored with passion fruit. I mean, so you've got this sweet beverage and this savory sandwich, and it's amazing. So that's my commercial for Bonwich. No, uh, I don't have a tattoo on the anything like that, you know, not getting any endorsements. But I just told you about Bonwich. But most of you have never tasted it, have you? Now you want to taste it, don't you? There's a difference between looking at a picture, reading a recipe, listening to someone describe it, even as effusively as I did, because I love Bonwich and it tastes really good. I could go have one for lunch right now. What do you say, Pappy? We'll go to Bonwich. I uh, know I've already taken my mom and dad to Bonwich before. But until you taste it, you don't know for yourself. David is inviting those who read the psalm. He's inviting us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. When your circumstances have got you down, go to God. He's saying, I've tasted Him. I've seen. I can testify that He will care for you. Verse 9, fear the Lord, you His saints, those who fear Him lack nothing. He's making a promise to us that even though we may want certain things, we may not need those things that God provides for all of our needs. The Bible testifies to that again and again. Verse 10, young lions may grow weak and hungry. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. When I was a preteen and an early teenager, my dad and I would watch most every evening PBS station, and they had uh, different wildlife shows, right? And so somewhere, Marty, uh, the guy that, what was, what was the fellow's name that did the show? Stoffer, Marty Stoffer, the North American animals. But then there was guys that would be in Africa and stuff. And of course, I got to go years later as a missionary to Africa. And I'll tell you what about young lions. You know, lions are in a pride And the pride is made up of a big daddy lion and multiple mama lions and multiple cubs. But then when the adolescent male lions get big enough, the big daddy lion chases them off. Well, for more reasons than one, but you can figure that out, right? And so then you generally will have a bachelor herd of young lions. And there might be two of them, there might be three of them. And you can tell because they're kind of slender and their manes aren't all the way grown in. They look a little scraggly, right? The other reason they might look scraggly is because they don't have the whole pride to hunt with. Lions are made that they hunt as a pride, that one will go this way, the others will go that way, and they'll go after, and they'll get, and then they share together. 
So instead of having nine or ten of you that all work together, you only got two scraggly guys that are young in uh, themselves. And by the way, it's the mama lions who do most of the hunting. The daddy lions aren't as good. Shh. It's the truth, I tell you. So when David, who in that day and time, lions that only live in Africa now, did live in the Middle East then, was saying that young lions go hungry, he's thinking about these scraggly little adolescent male lions. He's saying they don't know how to hunt, but look at the illustration. Lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You're not a lion. You're a human. You're made in God's image. And that image in you is the Spirit of God within you that is made to seek Him because He wants to give you grace so that you lack no good thing. Go on in verse 11. Come, my children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. He's talking to him like he would talk to a small child, whoever loves life and desires to see many good days. And then he's given instructions. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do what is good and seek peace. He's saying God provides for those who seek him. Your application question on that third point is that how do I live in worship for God? How do I live in worship for God? Is your application question on the third point. What is it that you do that demonstrates your spirit of worship to God? That you know who He is and you know how He loves you and how He cares for you and how He provides for you and how good His grace is and you're celebrating His sovereignty and you live in such a way to demonstrate that to others. Hmm. Are you humble? Are you prayerful? Are you exalting Him before others? Let's move on to our fourth point. Your fourth point in verses 15 through 18 is that God embraces the broken. God embraces the broken. Now, brokenness is not something we like to talk about. But when you consider biblical Christianity and you consider the fact that in our human nature we are born with pride that wants to defend and protect ourselves, and we can understand that, but that our pride must be broken in order for us to properly acknowledge God is God and I am not, and He is sovereign and I am finite. We need some brokenness about us that leads to humility and leads to wisdom. Verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their cry. In other words, God's paying attention to us. Verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut them off from the earth. Verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. What trouble? To the brokenhearted. And He saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's interesting that when our hearts are broken, we may feel as if God is far away. Feel. What does Scripture say? Where is God when you are brokenhearted? Not what do your circumstances say. Not what do your feelings say. Not what does your mind even say. But what does Scripture say? 
Remember, faith is choosing to live as though the Bible is true regardless of circumstances, emotions, or the cultural trends around me. What does Scripture say? Scripture says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's with you. You need not be overcome by your troubles. God is fully aware of your limitations. And because he knows you're limited, because he knows you're broken, because he knows you're worried, because he knows you're hurt, because he knows you're fearful, he is with you. Will you allow him to be with you? Will you open your heart to him in the midst of your circumstances that cause you pain and fear and worry? Will you be broken before him? Your question there asks, what breaks my heart to pray for? I know that's not good grammar. I was trying to keep the sentence short. What is it that breaks your heart that causes you to want to pray? And if that doesn't cause you to want to pray, what would cause you to pray? All of us need to pray. Because prayer is our channel to access the grace of God and the sovereignty of God and bring that to bear on our life and our problems that are finite with His infinite power and His awesome love and His amazing grace. So God deserves our glory. God answers our prayers. God provides for seekers. God embraces the broken. Finally, your fifth reason to give God thanks from this passage of Scripture today, that God delivers the righteous. Time out, Pastor Aaron. I know I'm not righteous. I struggle with sin. Time out, congregation. It's not your righteousness. It's Jesus. If you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, He sees Christ when He looks at you. And it's that imparted righteousness of Christ on you. That God delivers the righteous. Verse 19. A righteous person may have many troubles. David's saying, the Bible is true. We know it. He says, we're still going to have trouble. A righteous person will have many troubles. But, everything before it, the righteous person may have many troubles. But, that's the hinge of the sentence, the Lord delivers him from them all. God is with you. God is faithful in the midst of your trouble. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Figurative speech. I know sometimes you get broken bones, but he means he's going to take care of you and bring you through. Evil will slay the wicked. What's he saying there? Ungodly people only need enough rope to hang themselves, is my way to put it. That their own wickedness is going to be their downfall. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. And then verse 22. This is outside the acrostic alphabet. And it's because it's a summary verse. The way that David wrote it. And he says, the Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. The Lord redeems his servants. Faith. Your faith is a mark that you belong to Him. And because you belong to Him, you are His servant, you are His slave in the New Testament terminology. He redeems you. He buys you back from the world, the sinfulness that would condemn you to hell. He continues to redeem you from the circumstances that beset you and get you down. And He gives refuge. The CSB say, none who seek refuge in Him will be condemned 
The NASB says none will seek refuge from him, will suffer from their guilt. God provides for us. Your final application question today asks, where do I need to be rescued? You might substitute the where with the how or what from. But where's the rescue you need in your life right now? What's the biggest thing in your mind and your heart that's holding you back from wholehearted devotion to God, from the freedom that He intends you to have that you need to be rescued from right now? Is it a hurt, a habit, a hang-up? It's a besetting sin. Is it a troubling person? Is it a difficult situation? Let's consider our Scripture memory verse for the month. That Scripture memory verse for the month will put on the screen Jude 24 and 25, and I'll ask you to say it with me because it reminds us of God's goodness. Let's say it. Jude 24 and 25. To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Jude 24 and 25. Let's pray. God, our Father, we're reminded by Jude's words that you are sovereign and we're to give you glory in all circumstances at all times. And God, we give you thanks that you were with us when we were broken. And those who seek you will find you. Father, we come before you now at this time of invitation and we pray that we would be humble and submissive to you And that in the midst of even everything that 2020 has to offer, we would be able to give thanks for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.